Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. And here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Please be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. We cover a wide variety of topics. We've done everything from copywriting to accounting. We've even had some real estate investment topics. We've had a Bitcoin back there somewhere. I think we did blockchain. We've done public speaking, becoming a self-published author. We've done team building. We've done human resource-related topics. We have covered so many things, even a couple episodes niche towards the healthcare industry. What's really great about the Business Creators Radio Show is you have the opportunity, even if you're not yourself in a particular niche, to hear some of the things they're speaking about within different niches because some concepts are transferable across niches, and in some cases, there are things that you can find very helpful that you might not otherwise come in contact with simply because it's not part of the curriculum that is being targeted specifically toward you and what you do at the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And the underlying theme behind everything I just said is inspiration. Inspiration is everywhere. That's what we're going to discuss today. And we have a real champ with us today who's going to help us cover that. His name is Dominic Damaski, and I have wanted to speak with this guy for a long time. So I'm so happy that you've made the decision to join us today and listen in on the conversation because I think we're going to learn a lot of great things together. Dominic Damaski is an inspirational author, YouTube host, sales expert, and the founder of the inspiration sharing and publishing platform, Motivation Champs. Dominic is the author of the inspirational books, the Journey of a Grunt, and Don't Double Bread the Fish, and he's the creator and co-author of the hit books, The Unofficial Guide to Fatherhood, and Go Ask Your Dad. Recently, he released the hard-hitting ebook How to Write a Book in 2020, and it immediately became a bestseller on Amazon. Dominic's greatest accomplishments are his two children, and he aspires to be the best husband and father he can be. Very noble goals, and we are so honored that right now, Dominic has managed to carve a few minutes out of his very busy schedule and come join us here. So, Dominic, come on in. Weather's fine. Thank you, sir. I am honored to be on the show. Very good, and likewise. So, here's what we're going to do before we dive in. And I know we have a lot of different jumping off points. The next 45 to 50 minutes we're going to spend together are going to be uh, somewhat conversational in nature. We have a lot of different areas we can cover since inspiration is everywhere. I read off your official bio, which lists your books and your accomplishments. But what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is, by this point, some of our listeners are leaning in. They've got separate browser tabs open. They're on MotivationChamps.com while they listen to this. They're doing internet searches. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, learning more about this Dominic Damaski guy. So what we'd like to do, take a step back, tell us a little bit more about your journey and what 
has brought you to where you are today at the intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Uh, I would love to. Um, personally, I, I just think I'm a guy. I, I've been broke. I've been punched. I've been down and out. And I'm, one, I, I'm a big believer in that which doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And so right. I grew, you know, I grew up in family business, working in my dad's landscape company, uh, out in the fields of his nursery, uh, cutting, trimming yew bushes and pulling weeds and picking up cigarette butts on the local jobs and that kind of thing. And from there, that, that's probably where I learned hard work. And then I took that into my own career. I started a restaurant at about 23 years old. By 26, I lost half a million dollars and was broke as can be. And you had to pick yourself up and start over. And along that way, I, I had always studied inspiration and been a fan of it. But I dove in deeper and be, became a student of inspiration and at that point, when you become a student of something, at first you don't really understand it and you're trying to learn it. And then as I studied it, all of a sudden when you study something, you start to um, apply it and then you have to review. But then eventually what happened is I started to live by the principles I had studied and that's where I am today. So the Business Motivation Champs came from that. I wrote my first book years back and I I thought the world was all about me, and then I realized, wait, like you said, inspiration's everywhere. Everyone has a story. So rather than talking about myself, I realized, whoa, Adam has a story. That's pretty cool. Maybe I could help him share that. Maybe the fitness coach has a story. Maybe the the girl who was a single mother, she has a story, and that's what Motivation Champs does. They help everybody share a story, whether it's seeing a sunset and wanting to tell somebody about it or Maybe you were a woman battling breast cancer who has a special story that you want to tell, and we help everybody do those things. You know, I uh, wanted to ask this question here. My understanding is that you're actually located in uh, there, you know, Greensburg, Pennsylvania, or thereabouts. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. It's about 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh, the city of champions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh -huh. blue-collar. Uh, Blue collar, we we're, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh guys, we're like this. We're we are very nice. We got those Midwest values where we'll smile, but don't get us wrong. We will still fight if we have to. I'm from near Little Washington, so about 30 minutes from uh, you, you, just in a slightly different direction. I uh, I thought I recognized a little something just listening to you speak there, and then as you were talking, I went and took another look at some of your social media profiles, uh, like your Facebook business page, and went back to your website. It's like, oh, he's in Greensburg right now. Uh, he's in Pittsburgh. Went to University of Pittsburgh. Is this a Pittsburgh guy? Yeah, that's, I'm from that area myself, and there's a number of things that you know we can relate to, I think, between you and I and others from where we come from. I'm in Las Vegas now. I've been here for almost six years. I think it's one of the best things I ever did was leave that area and come to Las Vegas. And it's not because I have anything against it. To the contrary, I just simply believe that for my intersection of brilliance and passion, that part of the world had taken me as far as I could go, and I needed to expand my horizons to continue to spread my wings and rise. That being said, some of those same things that you covered in the story you told us about your journey really resonated with me. When I was growing up, you know, I couldn't wait for summer. 
aside from the fact that I didn't really, although I was very good at school, I didn't have much love for school. I you know, really preferred to go to the library to do my learning. Uh, I couldn't wait to get out because that meant I could pick up grass-cutting jobs and make money. When I turned 16, I couldn't wait to freaking get a driver's license because I wanted to get a job and get my own revenue stream coming. When I was in college, I was supposed to be working on my term papers for all my political science classes. Instead, uh, I spent a lot of that time on some of the early e-commerce sites. This was the late 1990s and getting familiar with how custom auto sound products were sold and marketed online. So there's been a motivation with me towards uh, the acquisition of money, entrepreneurship, and understanding the value of some people call it hard work, some people call it valuable work, some people call it meaningful work, some people call it busy work. And I don't mean that in the sense of, well, we're just doing stuff so we can say we're doing stuff, busy work, busy work, which usually translates to pointless meetings. And what I mean by busy work is work where we're busy in the sense we're doing business and we're creating things, making things happen actively. I had a summer job at one point in that time of my life where I worked for a, a I worked for a department in the county that maintained some of the rural bridges in some of the county parks. And I'm, you know what? I, I don't care who's listening because it happened. It's factual. I was assigned to a crew where they would go and they would work on a bridge for an hour or two, and then they would find some place um, down some trail up in the woods where they would park the truck, and then they would take a long lunch and they would all nap. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here thinking, what the am I doing sitting here with all these lazy asses snoring, taking my taxpayer money? But folks around me would tell me, well, why wouldn't you want that job? You get to just, you, you don't really have to work that hard. No, no. If I'm going to be in a place where I'm supposed to be delivering value, I want to be doing things. And what irritated me even more is, there was another crew in the same department that uh, worked out of the same main terminal that when they went and worked on bridges, they actually worked on the damn bridge all day. And I wanted to be on that team because that meant that I would be doing the busy work, business, maintaining the bridges, building things, painting things, repairing things. And, you know, that's just something that's always, that's, that's always just function for me. A lot of, you know, during a significant part of my time uh in you know my college years i had a part-time job working in fast food and i worked a lot of hours i got a lot of overtime um i actually enjoyed it for the most part and some of the lessons that i learned there i apply now to help small to medium-sized companies because when it comes to logistics um the value of effective communication you can gather a lot in a fast-paced environment that has a high level of cost consciousness I actually liked it, and I have more friends from that area era of my life than I do from that thing that we, they make us go through called high school. So the people will say, oh, you work so hard there, and you're dealing with those burgers. Can, can we get you back with the county? No. And, uh, right, and right. What, I th what I appreciate in your story, Dominic, is uh, I think you can relate to some of what I just said. It just, you know, there's, there's an integrity thing and there's an eagerness to contribute thing going on. 
it, when you're, it's funny when you're talking about that, you are a, a shining example of my last book, The Journey of a Grunt, because it's about every job, task, or chore you ever had and what you can learn from it. So you say in what you learned from fast foods or working on the bridge crew and then you carried it through to your whole life, you are, that's exactly what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, and, and I think that's, and I think that people would have greater appreciation for their lives if they recognize that that job that they don't, real, that they took because it's the job that they, was available now and they really needed a job, which I think most people go through at some point, even those who do have a specific goal and find their way to it. There's something there you can pick up. There's something there you can use. Maybe it's a little thing. Sometimes it's a big thing. My fast food experience, I think the biggest thing I, uh, I think the biggest thing that I figured out, and I'll tell you the story very briefly, and then I have a series of questions for you. Um, I, I know it's going to be kind of rapid fire here, is I, uh, at least once a week, I was, I worked a closing shift. Sometimes three nights a week I work a closing shift. And I was frequently assigned to, cl to close the grill area, you know, scrape down the grills, and, and that also included mopping the floors and all kinds of other things that involved scraping, scrubbing, and cleaning things. So at 7 o'clock, at the end of the dinner rush, um, I would begin doing something called post-rush, which basically involved uh, clearing out the garbage and, and straining all the fryers and cleaning all the grills and, and some other maintenance stuff in the back, in the lot, and things like that. Most people, and I'm going to show you how one simple thing can make such a big difference. Most people, when they did the post-rush, the very first thing they would do is they would take the trash out. Now, I discovered that between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m., that over in that one-hour period, over 20% of the paper waste and the paper refuse that came from the service line was discarded between the hours of 7 8 and 8. Because the same time the post-rush was going, there was also a post-rush and a pre-close going on on the service line, all the condiment stations and everything else. So all, all kinds of boxes and bags and everything, uh, that's what was creating all the paper waste. And if, instead of taking the trash out at 7, I took it out at 7.30 instead. Not only did I create a situation for the openers the next morning where instead of there being three full garbage cans, there would only be one full garbage can so the morning person could save five minutes on their job. But I could also consolidate waste from other areas of the restaurant that would make it a lot easier to move things around to clean the floors. And also by repositioning some of the pre-close and post-rush activities, sort of merging it into one large activity, I took something that would normally, according to their productivity charts, take two hours, and I reduced it to an hour and 15 minutes. Occasionally, you get these manager trainees who would say, no, but the manual says you have to take the trash out first. Then I went to the general manager, and, uh, and this is a guy who was very interested in cutting costs because he got profit margin distributions off the store. And I explained to him my process, and he said, it was it's funny, I remember the conversation. He said, you know, the district managers just found out I don't work closing shifts. So he's making me close every Wednesday. You want to close with me every Wednesday? Like, yeah. <laughs> and 
we loved it because he could save 45 minutes in labor just by letting me do my thing. So what I discovered is sometimes it's the small things, the tiny little adjustments that can have really big impacts. And that influenced my work all the way up to the publication of my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, which has the same theme. I love that title, by the way. Thank you. Okay, so enough about me. Let's talk about me. I wanted to you know, lay down some groundwork here, um, but the rest of this, really, Dominic, is going to be about you. So you've given us a lot of jumping-off points for our conversation, and I know a lot of the work you do right now um, has to do with helping people uh, become, uh, you, know, you know, create their own inspiration and inspire others by becoming motivation champs. And some of the work you have to do, you, you do, has to do with helping people write books. So, why is um, why is 2019 and 2020? Why are we in a great time to write a book? The reason is because the distribution's never been easier than it is today. That, that's number one. Number two, you can get out, you can get out on the internet and learn so much. So it's, there's so many ways to learn about how to, you can even self-publish books these days. So right now, it's back in 1940, 1950, 1970, you had to wait for Simon & Schuster to call you up, deem that you're worthy, and you could write a book. But if you have something to say nowadays, you can, because of the Internet, you can distribute it to the world because of cost and printing things and self-publishing and stuff like that. You can go out on your own if you believe in yourself that much and do it yourself. And there's more books being produced than ever before, and the literacy rates are higher than they've ever been. So now's the time to write a book. Let's not mention. Let's not forget to mention instant access. You can get your book on an, an e-distribution channel such as Kindle. I've sold so many copies of the Groundhog book because I'd be in conversation with somebody. And here's another thing that I love about self-publishing is that instead of having to answer that question, well, what do you do? Which, I mean, you get to ask that question a lot as a conversation opener by people who you already know just by what you know of them, but there's no way your prospects is going to be a pointless conversation. So instead of explaining the type of consulting you do to somebody who uh, works as a grocer, so you know it's going to be a meaningless conversation, you know, statistically, you say, oh, I'm an author. And now the conversation becomes, oh, you're an author. What's your book? Uh, Groundhog Day is right, right. not a business strategy. Yeah, so what's that book about? Uh, application of minimalist principles to create maximum results. Oh, that's interesting. Where do I get it? Uh, pull up your phone. Go to Amazon. One click. Now you have the book. Absolutely. absolutely. Right. And what's great and about I'm... that is now your viewer, your listener, or your reader can take all the time they need to learn about what you do. It increases the chances you're going to do business. Absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not down on pu- traditional publishing or anything like that. I say I say go for it. But I want people to know there's there's all kinds of options out there. Yeah, go for it. Just you study, you can learn about so many things, see which one's the right fit for you and go for it. Yeah. So, with knowing all this, why do so many people just give up rather than seeing their book through and getting it published? That, that's such a loaded question. You know, it's all, all depends on what mood you're in when you answer this question. But to, today, I think the number one reason people give up is 
they're surrounded by a, a group of people, negative people or that have their own self-limiting self-doubts, and they don't believe that you can accomplish something. Just like you saying you moved to uh, Las Vegas. All of a sudden, what somebody didn't think was possible is possible. So that, that's one of the things that, like, when you asked the question before, and why is it such a good time? Because it's possible. So if somebody if somebody thinks they can't, just keep going, inch by inch, little by little, you can do it. Yeah, um, I was fortunate when I made the decision to move to Las Vegas that I didn't at the time have a wife or a family or anything like that. Uh, so I had had plan, you know, made the decision to leave the Pittsburgh area, but just years went by and I just kept not doing it. And there was a catalytic event that happened uh, right around Independence Day 2013. It made me realize that my, you know, my life is just going by here and it's time for me to start going with it. And I, I looked at, it, I said, okay, let's. You know, I, I had a conversation with with myself where I said, you know, let's let's get serious and let's speak about facts. I have an apartment here right now. My lease is up on October 31st. It's July 5th right now. If I focus and take all the steps necessary and keep moving in the direction of when that lease is up, all that stuff moves to Las Vegas along with me, can I do this? And within about two hours, I had it all worked out by jotting stuff down on paper, thinking things through, going through bank accounts, looking at savings and things like that, um, looking at housing prices in Las Vegas, looking at uh, the going rate for new furniture in Las Vegas, what I could do with my old furniture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I had within two hours, I actually had my plan, and I just followed it. So I decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I, yes, I have the benefit if I don't have the consideration of a wife or, um, or, or a partner or children or anything like that. And I also own my own business, which is not location-specific. So, yes, while I have all this stuff in my favor, this is the time to do it. All right, sometimes you just gotta you gotta go all in, double down, go for it. Yeah, yeah, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page as far as uh, as far as that goes. Now, earlier I was uh, I made an allusion to uh, you know jobs that you take because you have to take a job, or you know learning to find the value in that job that you know is supposedly grunt work uh, or what have you. So let's ask you a couple questions about your experience working to where you are today um what's the worst job you ever had i told you mine what's yours worst job i ever had man i got locked in the freezer one time i got locked in the freezer one time when i was working at a at a restaurant overnight so i i like to when like you said whenever mood you're in when you answer a question hmm that was bad picking up cigarette butts shoveling uh-huh. shoveling poop I've, I've done those things but i'm gonna go right now with uh, overnight shift at the restaurant, getting locked in the freezer. I'm gonna say that was that was restaurant manager at the time, but I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta tell me. Uh, did I mean were you? I mean obviously you're still with us. Um, but did you get hypothermia? Uh, how did you get? <laughs> <laughs> I got mad. No. Truth be told, you know, like we said, you learn something everywhere you're at. So I was I was. I was probably early 20s managing people that were younger and older than me, and maybe maybe I didn't have the skills that I have today to communicate and 
<laughs> whatever happened, or maybe they just felt like uh, ganging up on me one night. So a couple of the employees, I was doing my nightly inventory, and they s- slammed the door, put something in front of it, and uh, turned off the lights. And I, <laughs> I was in that freezer for a while, but I kept banging my shoulder on that freezer long enough, and I guess a tell of persistence. I guess if you bang on something long enough, you'll eventually fly out and uh, – end up safe which i i did end up safe so yeah that was that's what happened there so you think this was done on purpose oh in that case it was it wasn't do i think it was i knew and uh i handled my business accordingly i protected myself Uh afterwards defended myself as i said i'm from pittsburgh you can't let people just run over you did what i you know did what i had to do uh, we made, we, uh, they were remorseful. And when my, when my managers came to me a couple of days later and they said, Hey, somebody out in the restaurant saw you tackling somebody the other day. Is this true? And I he took it on the chin and I said, it's a hundred percent true. Here's what happened. I busted out of that cold freezer that was dark and Hey, that was that. And everything ended up all right. Yeah. So Sometimes you gotta step up and defend yourself, I guess, or be ready. You know, what would you say? Sometimes you gotta be ready for a fight and take it to them. You know, this brings up an interesting point on my end here. Actually, um, I'm understanding and, and generous with people, sometimes to a fault, sometimes much more than I should be. I acknowledge it's one of my opportunities, uh, but I also know that there have been a few cases in my life where some situation or some person brought me to the point where um, I just, I mean, I never hit anybody. I've only actually been in one physical confrontation in my entire life, and it was a very minor thing. Uh, But I just said something or did something that was just so absolutely blatantly, you you know, of, and because it, they had driven me to the point where I had to establish that there were certain lines that did not get crossed with me, and they kept crossing them deliberately just to see what I would do. And at some point, you have to let people know there are those lines. And without having the full facts and the full context, if somebody just says, well, Adam called that person a mean name without having the context and without having the story – then, yeah, it makes me look bad. And uh, I used to worry about that. And then once I got through a couple of those situations, fortunately I've only had to do it a couple times, uh, my, the, the way I would typically handle it is I would only get upset if somebody quoted me inaccurately. It's like I want the world to know this has happened, but I only want them to say what actually happened. I want them to go by the facts, right. and I will correct them if they don't get it. I'll correct them if they don't get the facts right. But other than that, as far as remorse, apology, shame, or anything like that, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's I, I think say, it's a fact of life yeah. that we have to do this sometimes. Right. I always say you never never mistake kindness for weakness. I may be the I may be the nicest guy in the whole world. I, I really think I may I may yeah. be the nicest guy. But with, 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 I have a little yeah. daughter. She's ten years old. I have a thirteen year old son, and even. You know, I tell them, you, you turn the cheek, you turn the cheek, 
and then eventually you you got to stand up and defend yourself and fight for what you believe in. Whatever it is, you got to just stand up for yourself and be willing to go to bat for something you believe in. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned the importance of telling the world what your goals are. And at the same time, you have some folks who say, never let let people know what you're planning. You take the position of, you should let people know your goals. At least that's the way I understand it. So why is that? And, uh, and if there's any adjustment that needs to be made in how I present that, let me know. No, you're cool. I almost think it's like you, you get married or you get sworn in, you, you take an oath of office, those important things. You you tell people about so like right now I'm I'm working on I just finished a, a screenplay and it's my first movie what do I know about movies I've written books that kind of thing but I've never done a screenplay but it is part of if I really believe in myself well then shouldn't I tell you that the working title right now is Growing Up Gangster shouldn't I buy the domain shouldn't I start the Facebook page because if I believe it if I want to move once I tell you. Now I'm accountable. And it might take a year. It might take five years. It might take 20 years. It might never happen. But at least I tried like hell. At least I put it out there and I moved towards it. Once you set the goal, once you set the finish line, then you move forward towards it. If you don't know what the finish line is and other people don't know to hold you accountable, well, then then you can keep moving the finish line. And that's why you got to tell people your goals. If a book title gets announced in the forest and nobody hears it, did the tree fall? <laughs> Absolutely. I, right. I, you're just spot on. Yeah. Uh, and and what I also picked out of your statement is maybe you don't get there with that same book title. Maybe you don't get there in the same time frame, possibly even get there faster. But you set an intention that it's going to happen. I mean, how many products, how many books, how many movies have been announced? that to this day are unpublished. Um, how many complete movies have been made, have gone through post-production editing, but just have never been put in theaters? There are actually more of them than the casual person might observe if you start looking into it. There are so many movies, uh, like major studio movies, that are completely done with post-production, ready to go to theaters, but they just have not been sold. Right, just the wrong time. So you just keep moving forward at, with, at whatever it is. And then, like you're saying, along the way, I might veer off to a completely different project because this, these steps I took led me to a different path where I was actually supposed to be. I didn't give up on that other thing. I, maybe I took another opportunity along the way. Like, for instance, I was just I was a extra recently in a, a movie in Pittsburgh just to, to learn about the business because I do the YouTube videos, you know, I need to study lighting. I'm working on the movie. I figure I need to learn. I need to learn about the movie business, whatever I can learn. So I had been writing this other script for like two years with a gentleman out of Chicago. I had F-16 fighter pilots in it. I had tanks. I had all this stuff. And what I realized, I was on the movie set for two hours and I realized the the other movie I was writing was ridiculous because the budget was going to be completely crazy. So as a new guy in the business, who's gonna? It's gonna be a hell of a hard sell saying, "Eh, we just need fifty million dollars or twenty million dollars to make this movie, right?" So then I went back to another project I had started a year prior, whatever, and that was the path it took me on. And now I finished that one. And who knows what can happen? Like you said, maybe it never gets developed, and it opened the door. Yeah, see, that's really interesting. And what I love about that, Dominic, is that you 
saw opportunities to get educated about what you wanted to do, and you went for those rather than wondering about it or seeing what you could do to find a way to just hear about it, as I had said to me, or you make assumptions that, oh, no, you can't be an extra in a movie. Only certain people get to be extras in the movies. And the fact is, a lot of people can be extras in the movies. I mean, that's why they call them extras. So diving down this path a little bit deeper, telling the world your goals, uh, taking opportunities that folks have been conditioned to believe are not readily available even when they are. Um, let's say you have nothing. Um, you either come from nothing or you have ended up with nothing for whatever reason. Uh, how do you turn your life around from that when it seems like you uh, have either hit bottom or coming from the bottom and don't even have a launching pad? I, I like that question, and I'm thinking about Lou Holtz, the old uh, Notre Dame question, the no, old Notre Dame coach, as soon as you tell me that. And he's from, it's called Follins B, West Virginia. It was a, a very poor place and not far from where where you grew up, but uh, at the time, very poor place. He came from a, a poor family, and he says growing up with nothing was the biggest gift he was ever given because it was like having a silver spoon because really what it created was an immense work ethic. So when somebody says, oh, uh, how could I do that? I mean, this is, I mean, really, you're national or you're international, but this is America. You can be anything you want to be. It might take a little longer. It might take a different path, but you can be whatever you want to be. You, you work your ass off. You keep moving forward. Anything is possible. So if somebody says, I'm starting from the bottom, great, because it's going to be one heck of a story. It's going to be uh, an even better movie when you make it to the top. It, you know, nothing to worry about. You just you just start, you keep moving forward, and you don't stop. I think that's why you hear a lot of stories about people who, as children, didn't fit in in school or didn't agree with the educational system who turn out to be some of our great innovators, some of our great tastemakers and game changers. Because It's simply the fact that they didn't fit into the groove that conformity never worked out for them they didn't have those same bounds of, oh, what will my friends think? They might otherwise inhibit them. I, I couldn't agree more. Like you t you hear Gary Vee today talk about how bad he did in school, or you hear about Tesla or you know somebody back in, in the day. from For generations, there's been people just like you're saying where, hey, maybe the confines of going to school from 9 to 3 and somebody telling you this, this, and this, it wasn't for them. Bill Gates dropping out of school or Mark Zuckerberg. It's just that they just took a different path. I don't like that term drop out because that, to me, drop out sounds like failure. Uh, when you look at folks like uh, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, it's not that they dropped out of college or what have you. It's that they decided that their path was going to be different than sitting in a classroom. I am stealing that from you because that is a great analogy. You can have it. You, you, you. you come on Business Creators Radio Show, I'll give you a gift. You can have that. <laughs> yeah, so are we defined for our, by our failures? The uh, Failure, it, it can shape you. It can mold you. We talked about getting in fights before. I have scars over my eyes from getting beat up as a kid or, 
where, you know, bullied in the halls. They didn't call it bullying back then. You just got beat up. But I, I got yeah. scars, but they don't they don't have to define you. Whatever failure, like I talked about, going broke in the restaurant business, it wasn't. All it was to me was a great teacher. It was a master's degree in life, whatever people making fun of you or going broke or getting fired from a job that's that's your master's degree so no you're you're never defined by it that's your doctorate you just you take those little seeds those little golden nuggets and you store them away for another day when you need that courage when you need that inspiration and you remember that time hey remember they said this they said i couldn't move to las vegas they said dom couldn't write a book they said this and all of a sudden you dig down deep and you have those uh-huh. little uh, nuggets and you take them and you go. Yeah, I had uh, I had a job once uh, not too long after I came out of college, and I'll skip right straight straight to the punchline. Basically, is that that experience of losing that job became the foundational story of my contributing chapter to the International Amazon Bestseller Journey to Success the Millennial Edition. Uh, that story has gotten me speaking engagements. It's gotten me podcast interviews. It's gotten me a client, actually, a paying client um, in the five-figure range because they first became aware of me through that story. The gist of it is is that I had been told at the time, uh, if somebody wants to check out the story, they can go get the book. I'm not going to take away from the Dominic Damaski hour here for this, uh, but the gist of it was is I was told by somebody who wanted to drive me out of the company that I would never amount to anything and that no company would ever hire someone like me. Uh, and later that same day, some, after, I, after I told somebody what happened, he said, you know, one day you're going to write a book about this and they're going to cower in the shadows because they know that uh, you are nice enough to not put their name on the story. And, yeah, I've published a story, and I haven't heard from them on it. And if they were even aware that I wrote that story, that they read that story, and they know it's about them, the chances they're going to own it are pretty slim because I spoke from a place of fact. It's indisputable. And I celebrate the day that I lost that job as my second birthday. Every year on April 27th, we do a celebration of that. The reason being is they said that based on who I was, I was unemployable and no one would ever put up with me. They said that if you ever leave a job without having another job lined up, you will not get another job for a year and you'll end up with a 20% salary cut. They said if you get fired, you'll have a huge gap, you'll have to take a 20% salary cut, and your career will be derailed and you'll be forever explaining why you got fired. They said that you could never go back to school. They said that you could not hold down a job while going to, to MBA school. They said that you could never start a business without a small business loan. It's just all those they says, they says, they says that I've just blown out of the water over the years that all started with so many scales being removed from my eyes. Not only was April 27th the day that all that got totally, totally disproven, but it was also funny thing. Two business days later, I had another job. I was making more money and went from there. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's why I celebrated my second birthday. And, I love yeah, it. I love I, it. I, 
Yeah, and you know what? I do let it. I do let it define me because it just showed that they said, they said, they said. You know what they're doing? The exact same thing they were doing 20 years ago, being the struggling number 15 in their market, uh, having all of their employees leave to go work for their competitors to make more money. That's what they're doing today. Look what I'm doing today. Hey, however that sounds, however it sounds. So uh, why? Let's kind of come back to the core of this, Dominic. Why are you? just so passionate about inspiration, as if our conversation doesn't already reveal that. Like, what is it that catalytically created this passion for you, and what about it keeps you going? You know, I, I like to, you know, just, if you're going to bring it home, and I've failed a thousand times, and I, maybe more, and I'm, I guarantee you I am going to fail a thousand more times. But one of the things that, like we talked about, it's a journey. You learn from it. And I, I accept my failures. I take them head on. And, you know, I take responsibility for them. I'm accountable for them. And you learn. And then you you start to move forward. And you see that when you're moving forward, there's so many people out there that have faced harder things than even, like, let's say me, where you, you fought to get through something. And you look over to the right. And there's somebody that was in a involved or and a hell of a lot more than you. You look to the left, wow, she's been through a lot. That guy's been through a lot. That little kid's been, been through a lot. And I realized that for me, I want to share that story. Everybody has a story. And as I, you know, when I, when I was young and started off, I'd be like, oh, I did something great. I'm, I'm special. No, no, no. What I realized, maybe I am special, but what I realized is there's so many people out there that maybe I could help them. Maybe I could be a platform rather than competing against this guy or that guy, the fitness guy, the uh, the life coach, the guy from inner city Chicago with a different message than mine, I would rather support that message because it might, it, might, it might not be my message. Like I work with uh, Brian P. Swift. He's a, he broke his neck playing high school football. He's a quadriplegic. His message is not my message, but it is an inspiring message. I work with Paul Gray who has – teaches a message of grace and faith and love and hope. That's not my personal message, but it is a heck of a message that I believe in and I want to help him share. And that's why I'm passionate. All these people you start to meet and and they they come to you and you're like, wow, look at that. I could help them. We could we could do something together and that's kinda of more and more and more. How can I make a difference? How can I help more people? And so we just keep moving along with it. In my work with small businesses and helping them differentiate what they do. I do some level of branding and differentiation. It's not my primary thing, but I've done some of that work with some companies. It's been very effective. A lot of what we do is actually has to do with internal organization and simplifying processes, minimalism to achieve maximum results. But what I've discovered is I've worked with client after client after client after client who do substantially the same thing. Thing. And maybe they serve a different niche, or maybe they have a slightly different range of services, but it's a very similar type of thing, whether it's a consulting firm, a digital marketing agency, what have you. And they're, they, these are things that are seemingly a dime a dozen. And what I've seen happen over and over and over again is the differentiating factor it's not the work that they do because, you know, nothing new under the sun. They all do substantially the same thing. They all charge substantially the same rates. 
you don't compete on price, and you don't compete on, well, we'll get you three Facebook ads instead of two. No. Uh, the differentiating factor comes from, as I like to say, when you rename it. When you give it a name that people will associate only with you. And that name comes from whenever you're able to bring your own experience into something. Does that resonate with you in any way? I hear what you, I hear what you're saying, and to me, you just I, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how how I want to shape what you're saying here. But for me, we just we build it. It's like uh, if you build it, they will come. So you right. create something, and when you create it, you don't know how it's going to end up. And then the people come, and you start to see, wow, this is this is the vision. This is how it was supposed to be all along. And that's where I think the motivation champs comes from. It's it's them, not me. I just I'm like a a spoke in I'm a spoke in the wheel, and they are the they're the fuel that makes it run. I was told a long time ago that the most effective mentor is not the one who gives you the answer, but one that helps you see the answer that you already know. Without a doubt, you know. Whether you teach teach them to fish, whether they, what's the one about the fish? You know, teach them to tell, show them how, teach them, and they'll get all the fish. I mean, right there. Yeah, yeah. It's also when I answer that question, uh, you know, what, let's have a little bit of fun here. Um, you know, we're almost done with uh, some of the basic points that uh, you shared with us. But I want to ask you a question because I want to get a, your thought process a little bit. Let's have a little bit of um, off the script fun. Uh, Dominic, let's say that you all of a sudden came into $500,000 and needed to apply this money in such a way to benefit your business, yourself, your future. You get $500,000. What do you do with it? I would do the exact same thing I'm doing. Like some people would say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I would I believe in I believe in my message. I share inspiration and I help other people do the same. So what I would do is I would probably put it all into I'd probably put such a huge percentage into social media marketing to let more people know about me because I knew if they came through we could help them and that's where I would put the money. You and I are similar. Uh I have a different twist on this. If I received $500,000, here's what I would do. The first thing that I would do, very first thing, is if there were any tax-based obligations I had to settle with the government, get it out of the way. Just do it now. It's done. So I know exactly what real amount of money I'm dealing with. That's step one. Step two is clear all business and personal debts. Just wipe them out. Because what that will do right there is it will release existing cash flow that is currently going to debt service. And it will restore future cash flow that would be lost and would otherwise would go to interest payments. So I'm getting money back just by clearing my debts. That's number two. Number three is I would look at everything that I invest in, whether it's technologies, masterminds I belong to, coaching programs I belong to, anything I do uh, that's an investment for the business or for me personally that I pay for monthly that I know I'm going to be keeping. And I'm going to find out how much it is for the annual version and prepay for the year. And when you do that, you typically save 10 to 15% using the discount you'll get when you go annual. 
So now I've released 10 to 15% more of my upcoming cash flow. So you see how just on the money that I already had coming in without having to do anything to grow the business or grow my income, I've already increased my available cash flow just by simply reducing a few things? Yeah, I get it. I would take I would take a piece of that money, uh, if we're going back to the original gift or, or windfall I received, and I'd blow ten or $15,000 of it frivolously because what the hell you live once. Uh, I would, uh, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd pay off, uh, uh, my sister's house, maybe something like that. Uh, maybe there's four or five people that I would give a few thousand dollars to and say, go knock yourself out. Uh, I would find a way to take most of the remainder of the money and invest it in a way that was assertive, uh, yet safe so that I would get a healthy, more or less as much as you can expect with these things, dependable annual return. Other than that, just as you said, I would keep basically doing what I'm doing, knowing that I sleep well at night, knowing that I don't have to do anything I don't want to because I have a, I have a lot of money sitting around. And going back to the marketing question, because I opened up all that cash flow, see, if I had just taken that $500,000 and said, I'm going to spend it on marketing, okay, so I spend it on marketing and then I blow it, then what? I still have the debts, and I still have the same cash flow, and I still have no benefits. Now, with all that debt cleared, all that cash flow released, uh, that, that trickle of money that's now been turned into a flow of money, if I do some marketing and it doesn't grow my business the first time because I have to go through the process of learning trial and error and calibration and optimization, after round one, I have that flow of cash flow that's coming. Now I can do a round two. And then it starts to grow. Then I have a bigger flow, do a round three, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So basically it's draining the swamp, clearing the gates, whatever phrase you want to use, and releasing the flow of what you already have and making it work in your favor. So, And when somebody comes to me and says, yeah, but you have to use the money for marketing, I say, yeah, that's how I would use it for marketing. I would open up cash flow so that I could keep spending on marketing instead of having having the one-time hit. So just that's right. a little insight into my thought process. No, I, I like what you're doing there. Now my thing yeah. is I want to do, I want to do I want to be free and I want to be free to create. My my like my my happy place is the creation. So the more people the more I can create, if it frees up, if it frees up space, if bringing in this frees up space, frees up time so that I can get out there and talk to you about titles or projects or this or write with you, then I'm golden. Yeah, just just not having to worry about keeping the lights on because you know those lights will be on has a funny effect on the brain. Right. Because when you think scarcity, you experience scarcity. When you think abundance, you experience abundance as a general rule. Tony Robbins, I, I agree. The Tony Robbins, the secret. I mean, you're you're spot on with all this. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very true. So, um, I I just got to ask you, and you you very you are very much a positive guy, and I really love speaking with you. And I really, you're one of those folks I really hope we get to meet in person at some point in the relatively near future. And I really look forward to getting to know you, uh, Dominic. But uh, you know, you. You're such a positive person, you're inspiring. Do people ever get tired of that? 
that's do people ever get tired? I am as I believe in. If you look through my social media, anybody that wants to challenge me here, oh, that guy was a phony, that guy was this or this. I am 100% authentic. So you will see, like, like we talked about, you'll see my failures. I put them out there for you. You'll see the days. You'll see me when I try to do a tough mother and get injured or get my third hernia or something. I try to live. I try to live the motivation champs. You know, I'm going to go out. I'm going to sign up to run a tough mother or do a triathlon or something like that. So do people get tired of it? Yeah, and I, I would say if they do, the thing about life and social media and things like that, well, you don't have to you don't have to listen today. You can go you can uh <laughs> turn the channel, flick it, but what you gotta remember, and this is what I think one of my core beliefs is everybody takes their inspiration differently. It's like taking medicine. So some people might go to church on Sunday, some people might read the Quran, some people might go for a run, some people might walk in the woods. Me personally, my message may not be for everybody. Or maybe the way I deliver it is not for everybody. But what I do believe is I'm going to help those other people share because everybody needs their dose of inspiration. And it might be, like I say, it might not be me. Might, somebody might say, I don't like the way that guy looks. But something inspires them. And when they're looking for that bit of motivation, whatever it may be, I want me and motivation champs to be there for them in some capacity. Yeah, so it's not a matter of whether people become tired of it because if they get tired of it or maybe they're just not in a place to receive it right now, they can just go look at somebody else's profile for a while and come back to you later. Or maybe you'll find your yeah, way to them later. I, I, I believe that when yeah, the, the student is ready, yeah. the teacher appears. Absolutely, and, and, it's, and it's never about me. So I might... So I'm one of these. Well, I think so long term that it's never about me. If they, if if my message isn't for them, like I talk about getting beat up and going broke, that message might not be for everybody. But that person still right. could use some motivation. It, it, what Zig Ziglar said: motivation is like taking a shower. It's recommended daily. They might not be for me. That's fine. But uh, maybe yeah. I have. Maybe I can help you find the the right person for you. The right teacher, as you said. Yeah, and, you know, being authentic uh, can sometimes create reactions from people who actually are good and who think that they are speaking out in your best interest but just don't get it. Uh, you, I got a lot of flack on social media one day because I showed a picture of three empty bottles of laundry detergent that I stood upside down on their caps. And I was doing that to prove the point that even when your bottle of laundry detergent is empty, if you screw the cap back on and stand it up on its cap, enough detergent will typically drip out for you can do another load of laundry. My point in sharing that was to show that frugality can come through small things that require very little effort. And also, as a way of illustrating one of the principles of my book, I didn't come out and say, as we discuss in Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, because I wanted to create the curiosity factor of why am I showing pictures of laundry detergents. Um, I wanted to show that sometimes it's those tiny little things, like that little trickle. I got three more loads of laundry, whereas most people would have thrown away the bottles, assuming they were empty. I showed they really weren't empty. There's still more in there. There's still more broken right. surface. And some of the feedback I got, I, one of the trends was along the lines of, why are you 
telling people how to save pennies on their laundry detergent. How are they going to believe that you're going to help them achieve big business success if you're fussing over 36 cents? Weren't catching the point. And I was happy to get those responses because it opened the conversation that it is those little, literally residual things. If you give them a chance to find their way into the receptacle, you can find additional gifts in what you already have that you might miss if you just fail to take a moment to do a simple exercise or activity that will draw them out or let them drip out. It's 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 a beautiful yeah you're spot on with the analogies and there's a if you're familiar with David Goggins one of the things he talks about yeah. ex Navy SEAL he's U.S. Ranger he's been in every branch there was one of the, he talks about I think it's a forty percent rule and he said it's it's all you could do it with the laundry detergent just like he said but your body will quit your mind will quit before your body does so you'll you'll quit at forty percent when you got an extra sixty percent in your tank. And that's the same way. It's funny. You did it with laundry soap where you could say, look, yeah. you think it's over. You think you're out of gas here, but you're not. Flip it over. Empty the tank. I may have to borrow that one from you. Just the way you worded that <laughs> is another code of soul to that lesson. And, you know, I, and I, I think that's – and here's another one I did that I got the same type of feedback for, including from one of my business coaches, is uh, I had a – I. Uh, bought some furniture for my balcony and to save money on it I uh I got a card at Target cuz I was buying it at Target so I could save 20% on it and I just nice. I, mean, I actually had the ca- I had the cash to pay for that furniture in my pocket. I was going to pay cash for that furniture, but they showed me a way to save 15% on it. Well, yeah. 15% off $400 is a little bit of money, my friend. That could be fed on marketing, right? <laughs> so, uh, hey, hey, so yeah, so yeah, I opened the card, and then when I got the card, I promptly paid it off. Now, what happened is they mailed it to the wrong address because they weren't listening when I explained the difference between my residential address and my mailing address. So, oh, no. I actually had the statement get lost, and my payment ran late. So by the time we figured all that out and they got a statement out to the right address and I was able to get logged into their system and pay it off, when all was said and done, they did all the adjustments and, and uh, gave, me the, gave me the grace on the late fees and everything else, it turned out I'd overpaid that uh, card by $1.40. And I got a statement saying, your card paid off and you have a $1.40 debit on this. So you, know, you have a balance of minus $1.40. So I posted a picture of that statement. And, you know, without the card number showing, of course. And I said, guys, I have a dollar for you to spend at Target. How should I spend it? And that got like 45 comments with people actually saying what I should do with that dollar 40 at Target. Uh, and, uh, and, then, and I got those folks who were whispering in my ear saying, dude, you want to be taken seriously as, as somebody who helps people become successful in business? And you're taking up marketing space to blab about a dollar forty on your target card? Like you missed the point. I was doing an exercise in helping people access their childlike states of enthusiasm, which opens the door to imagination and innovation. I, I get it. I, I posted something today about a free drink I got somewhere. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, get, I get what you're. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's in the subtleties. 
All right, so we're basically here at the top of the hour. Um, we have two minutes left. I want to give one of those minutes to you. Um, somebody's leaning in um, and they want to discover more or if you have something to offer them, uh, how do they get started with you, Dominic? Look me up anywhere you see Motivation Champs. That's a, I don't even carry a business card anymore. I just say look up Motivation Champs. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, www.motivationchamps.com. We're there. We're everywhere. And what we do is we share inspiration and help other people do the same. We share positivity, smiles, and inspiration 24-7, seven days a week. So when somebody, if you have a project, if you have something that's inspirational, we've studied it. We've studied inspiration for 20 years, and there's no better place to come than us. And that, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, you own almost, you own, I mean, so far with like maybe three exceptions, you have the first four pages of Google. Not bad, not bad. And, well, and, and, great, I, don't, so. and I don't mean... And I don't mean to be smart about it. I'm just saying when you got when it's when you're studying, we are students. I I love Del Carnegie. I love Norman Vincent Peale. We've yep. studied them all. So when and when you're going into that space, you got to know what you're doing. And we're the people. Motivation Champs. MotivationChamps.com. Exactly. All right. So so uh, so I just got to say this has been a great conversation, Dominic Damasky. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and an education. Adam, thank you. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.